Welcome to another episode of Mormon Sunday School, Gospel Principles Edition. I am, for a lack of a better term, your instructor, Bill Real, and I'm grateful to have each of you with me today. And so today, we're going to talk about the uh, Chapter 2 of the Gospel Principles Manual, Our Heavenly Family. We're using this manual. This manual is no longer used in the two-hour block of uh, the LDS Church, uh, but this manual does give a basic uh, review of basic Mormon doctrines. It goes over the basic principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our goal in uh, this podcast is to both present uh, a faithful perspective of basic Mormon doctrines, number one. Number two, we are going to share how the church's doctrine, theology, and principles, policies that are affected by these uh, basic Mormon doctrines, how they've changed over time. And so we will juxtapose the current Gospel Principles Manual with the 1979 edition. That's number two. And then number three is that in a spirit of transparency is that we will share with you all of the deeper doctrines and ideas that are avoided, uh, generally speaking, uh, by the Gospel Principles Manual, so that folks can, uh, if you're a non-member or you're a new member, you can get the feel for what it is that you're not being told uh, in regards to Mormon doctrine. And so we want you to have a, a more full perspective of uh, what the church actually teaches and believes and what uh, beliefs and doctrines lie within its theology. And so we'll start here. In each one of these, I always take all of the Old Manual of Gospel Principles, 1979 edition, as well as the current one, and I put the pages side by side. And so I simply want to note here that we are all children of our Heavenly Father, and that we developed our personalities and talents while we lived in heaven. So Mormonism uh, believes that Heavenly Father is, in fact, our Heavenly Father. He's our Father in heaven. Uh, we talked last week in the idea about uh, our Heavenly Father, that one of the things that sort of isn't understood fully in Mormonism, it's sort of debated, and there are people or proponents on both sides with, within the faithful view of Mormonism, but it's this idea that God, there are some quotes that indicate that God created us, that we didn't exist until He created us, and then there are other quotes within Mormonism that say that we always existed as intelligences and that God came along and organized us, essentially adopted us. And so there is this uh, sort of discrepancy in Mormonism that is disputed even to this day that there are proponents who go, no, we were already existing as intelligences, and they have their set of quotes that back that up. And then there are this other line of thinking that, uh, no, God... Uh, created us, and uh, he truly is our Father in heaven in that regard. And so just want to note that. And then also that we lived in the pre-mortal life, we lived in a pre-earth existence, that prior to coming to earth, being born out of our mother's womb, and having a physical body, that we as consciousness, or as Mormonism would call it, intelligences, that we existed prior to coming into this mortality or this earth life. And Mormons will call that the pre-mortal existence, the pre-earth life, 
but just to know that there is this idea that we existed beforehand. You'll notice all the things that are in red. These are things that I just want to note. I'll turn to the next page and point them out, and we can turn back just to, to show that. But if you want to pause and read those, you're welcome to, but I'll just note what they are. There is a de-emphasis in the current manual about Christ being our elder brother. And so uh, Mormonism teaches that when we lived in that pre-earth life, all of us as children of our Heavenly Father, that also Jesus was a child of our Heavenly Father, and that Satan too was a child of our Heavenly Father. And in the newer Manual of Gospel Principles, the Church has de-emphasized that to some degree, uh, removed a couple of the references of it, and uh, not sure why, but it seems as though they they want to sort of leave uh, a mainstream Christianity feel to the introductory message to new members or to investigators. Again, that last week we explained to you that an investigator is anybody who is uh, looking into the LDS Church to see if it might be appealing to them or if its beliefs might be discovered to be true by them. The church would call any of those folks investigators. So, for instance, I joined the church when I was 17 years old, and prior to my baptism, I was investigating the church. They de-emphasized that we look like our heavenly parents, a.k.a. including Heavenly Mother, and that... Uh, and that our heavenly parents have resurrected bodies. And so, again, Mormon theology teaches that not only do we have a heavenly father, but we also have a heavenly mother, and early Mormonism uh, absolutely taught that plural marriage was part of the requirements on the gospel path in order to receive the highest degree of exaltation in the celestial kingdom, and hence to be a god, one had to practice polygamy. And so there are lots of quotes in Mormonism that also speak about uh, more than one heavenly mother, that we have a heavenly father and that we have lots of heavenly mothers. Uh, also note they changed the concept that we can become perfect as they are, they meaning including heavenly mother, and they move to just acknowledging such with God the Father. So in almost every reference, there is one or two left in, but in almost every reference in the old manual where it said heavenly parents, or it referred to they, them, the church has reduced those references, again, with an exception or two, to only uh, notifying the reader of heavenly father and leaving heavenly mother out. Again, seems like a way to mainstream the faith in ways to make it more palatable uh, to the new member who's used to more of a mainstream Christian message uh, or the person investigating. Also note that all of our prophets was changed to that the prophets. Not a big change at all, but it does seem to sort of help the reader focus more on the prophets of old rather than to be already prompted to be thinking about modern-day LDS prophets in the LDS Church. The third section here is that our heavenly parents desired to share their joy with us. So we spoke about last week that God, as Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother, that they were human or man and woman like us, and that they progressed along the gospel path, 
they followed whatever the rules were that were established for a person to become a god. Heavenly Father did that. In fact, there's a couplet in Mormonism that says, as God is, man may become as man is, God once was, or vice versa, as uh, man is, God once was, as God is, man may become. And this couplet, which was uh, came up with by Lorenzo Snow, is pointing to this deeper LDS doctrine that God had to go through the rigmarole of getting baptized, getting the priesthood, uh, entering an internal marriage, and, and most assuredly a polygamous one with multiple wives. And by following the gospel path, he could attain exaltation in the celestial kingdom. And that because he had gone through all of that, and our Heavenly Mother too, uh, they wanted us to be happy like them. And so they wanted us to be able to participate in the same plan. And so our heavenly parents desired to share their joy with us. Again, it's changed over on the right-hand side to our heavenly father presented a plan for us to become like him. So you can see right there the reference of heavenly parents changed to heavenly father. Again, lots of sections there in red. Feel free to pause the program. Read those if you'd like to, but I will just note what the differences are on the next slide. So one is that they changed the word lead to minister, no big deal. It softens it up a little bit, makes it a little more uh, pastoral in its approach. Uh, they note his calling, which is any opportunity to serve. Uh, they move uh, from general uh, conversation to specifying that male and female are born with certain gifts and talents. And then they invoke the family proclamation. And for folks listening that are new to Mormonism, the family proclamation, the proclamation, uh, a proclamation, I think it's called the family, a proclamation to the world. And that document was created by the LDS Church in order to have a standing, um, a friend of the court, an amicus brief, to be able to uh, involve itself in legal uh, processes that were going on around the country in regards to allowing or preventing uh, gay marriage. And because the church didn't have any uh, direct things said doctrinally about uh, being against homosexuality, they needed to come up with a formal document. And there's been a ton of research done that shows that the family proclamation or or the uh, the family a proclamation to the world was in essence cre created to give them standing in the courts. In this uh, previous slide, they de-emphasized that patriarchal blessings can help us learn about our talent and future callings, and instead water it down to patriarchal blessings can help us learn about our eternal possibilities. Again, softening it up a little bit, because uh, for, again, those who, who haven't uh, been very familiar with Mormonism, uh, young, uh, older teenagers or young adults are encouraged to go get their patriarchal blessings. They go see a man who lives in the geographic region that they live in. He lays hands on their head and then he claims to receive uh, spiritual direction from God to tell them what tribe from the tribes of Israel that they are from, and then to pronounce uh, blessings or essentially future prophecies of what they could accomplish in this life. But often those have turned out to be inaccurate, and uh, hence the church seems to want to back away a little bit from how definitive 
those blessings can be about the future situations of the people who receive them. And then just noting they removed entirely a section emphasizing agency and that God would never force us. And I just want to note probably good reason to remove that. If we look at um, the history of the church alone, we can find examples where God does seem to force people to do things. And one example would be in D&C 132, uh, God seemingly tells Emma Smith, the wife of the founder, Joseph Smith, that if she doesn't agree to polygamy, she will be destroyed. And the idea that you don't force somebody, if I put a gun to your head and I say, you either jump right now or I will kill you, I have forced you to jump. Now, you can choose not to jump, but then I'm going to shoot you and kill you. You really didn't have a choice. You were forced to do something. And so when uh, God tells Emma Smith that you can either uh, agree to practice, have your husband practice polygamy and allow him to have more wives than just you, or you will be destroyed. Another instance is that an angel with a flaming sword came to Joseph Smith and said that he would destroy him if he did not press forward and initiate the uh, practice of polygamy. And then we also know of where God in the Book of Mormon tells Nephi that he needs to cut off Laban's head. Uh, so there's this character in the sacred text of the Book of Mormon who is sent on a mission to procure some uh, brass plates, and he comes across the guy who has the brass plates, who has been uh, who has drank too much, he's drunk, he's passed out, and God insists multiple times that this Nephi character cut off uh, Laban's head and hence be able to take those brass plates. Um, there is the removal of the phrase of our pre-earth life on a celestial home, and twice on this set of pages, heavenly parents is changed to heavenly father. So we'll just note those. All right, we are on to the third page. In this fourth section says, our heavenly father presented a plan to us to become like him. And so Mormons believe that in the pre-earth life, the pre-existence, the pre-mortal life, that uh, all of us were there. We were uh, unembodied spirits. We were intelligences of some sort. So we had a sort of consciousness and awareness. We were able to think through ideas and to consider things. And Heavenly Father gathered all, all of us spirit children together, including Jesus and including Satan. And he presented, uh, he, he said that, hey, we need to come up with a way to get back. And Satan raised his hand. And Lucifer presented his idea of how that should be done. Essentially, we would all go down and get bodies. We wouldn't be allowed to make choices. We would just sort of robotically choose the right thing. And then we would be allowed to then die and be resurrected and enter back into God's presence and be saved. Jesus, on the other hand, uh, either, either suggested or um, encouraged people to accept Heavenly Father's plan which was that all of us would come down to earth, get a body, that we would be allowed agency, the ability to make choices, and that if we made the right choices and repented of the wrong ones, and if we uh, either joined the true church in mortality and participated in all the saving ordinances or rituals of that faith, or 
if we would have, if we had the chance, and then die and then have the work done for us, and we'll get into this later in later chapters when Mormons talk about doing work for the dead, but there's this idea that this plan's presented that all of us will get a body, we'll all have the chance to live the gospel, keep the commandments, and repent when we fall short, and that by our own merit to some degree, our own uh, level of uh, loyalty and obedience to God, His Son, and to the gospel plan, uh, and also taking advantage of the atonement for where we mess up, that we could get back to Heavenly Father, but that some of us would be lost. So Lucifer's plan was going to save all of us, but we wouldn't have any choice. And God's plan allowed us to have choice, but meant that some of us wouldn't make it. Some of us would choose to sin or to separate ourselves from God in His presence. And uh, and so that's the plan that was presented. And so we'll just note, uh, they use different references for sources, not a big deal at all. Uh, they added, by the way, there's one section here where they talk about the little children. It's on the bottom right, on the right-hand side, far bottom uh, of the newer manual. It says, at this council, we also learned that because of our weakness, all of us except little children would sin. We learned that a Savior would be provided for us so we could overcome our sins and overcome death with resurrection. We learned that if we placed our faith in Him, obeying His word and following His example, we would be exalted and become like our Heavenly Father. We would receive a fullness of joy. Now, in the old manual, it says that we learned that because of our weakness, all of us would sin. And so the newer manual seems to do this good thing, which is to acknowledge that children can't sin. That's a Mormon doctrine, by the way, that children can't sin. But it also leaves something out. Uh, and we'll get to that in the next slide. And I just want to note the other change, which is once again, heavenly parents are changed to heavenly father. But there's this thing about children sinning that the gospel principle manual sort of leaves out. And in that pre-earth life, when those two plans were presented... Everybody in uh, God's presence, all of the spirit children of God, including Christ and Lucifer, had the chance to accept or to turn down that plan. Mormonism teaches that approximately a third of the host of heaven chose to, uh, uh, to stand behind Satan's plan. That's the plan they wanted to be in action. And because of that choice, they were cast out of heaven. There was a war in heaven, which... Most of Christianity also uh, speaks of or acknowledges on some level. But in Mormonism, a third of the host of heaven chose Lucifer's plan. They were cast out. So they're here on planet Earth, but they don't have bodies. And so they are the spirits that tempt us and encourage us to do bad things. And then the other two-thirds chose Heavenly Father's plan. But in Mormonism, up until maybe roughly 1978... Mormon theology also taught that there were a number of spirits who, while they in the end sort of chose Heavenly Father's plan, they were also sort of fence-sitters. They didn't uh, put in a valiant effort to stand up for God's plan. They sort of waffled. They weren't, they weren't exactly sure which plan was better, but in the end, they chose Heavenly Father's plan. They did come here with a body but they ended up with limitations. And the reason I'm saying all of that is because we just spoke about children sinning and this idea that uh, 
except little children, all of us except little children would sin. But in Mormonism, I just want to note, in pre-earth life, Mormonism used to have an explanation. They don't say this anymore, but this was a teaching in the past. And we have the quote there, not the top one, which is the current president of the church saying that Mormon prophets will always teach the truth. But then it's juxtaposed against a quote by prophet Harold B. Lee, Decisions for Successful Living, 1973, where he says the privilege of obtaining a mortal body on this earth is seemingly so priceless that those in the spirit world, even though unfaithful or not valiant, in other words, they had sinned, were undoubtedly permitted to take mortal bodies, although under penalty of racial or physical or nationalistic limitations. And so while we would agree that the handicapped, the disabled child in the wheelchair there is, hasn't sinned, he hasn't done something wrong, Mormonism used to teach that the reason he was uh, disabled, the reason he was physically challenged or mentally challenged, was because in the pre-mortal existence, he was not valiant enough. Now, at some point, Mormonism decides to do a 180 change, and it decides to teach a new uh, theological idea, which is that those who are physically or mentally challenged in this life were more valiant, they were more faithful, than the rest of us in the pre-mortal existence, but that was not the original teaching. And so I simply want to notify the audience of that. And I also want to note here, they say racial limitations as well. Mormonism taught up until 1978 that people of African descent, people of color, were less valiant in the pre-earth life and that they were born into the bodies of the descendants of Cain, who then had a curse of dark skin. And we'll see some of the quotes on that here in a moment, but I just want to note that. And then we're on the final page here of the lesson manual. There's nothing really that stands out to me. Um, I did in the previous one, I did take, you'll see the spot there that says next page. I simply wanted to keep everything together because they weren't kept together from one edition to the next. So this essentially we had already gone over. They leave scriptures and questions and things there for the class to go over. But that is the basic uh, doctrine of Mormonism in regards to our heavenly family. And now I want to spend just a minute telling you what is left out of the lesson. We've done a little bit of that already, but I want to go a little further. What is left out of the lesson that would be import important for a person to know in order to make an informed, uh, consenting decision about how and what they will believe. Again, there's this idea in Mormonism that you don't give milk, you always give milk before meat, that you don't just give somebody the deep doctrines of the gospel before they're ready for them. You don't cast pearls before swine, and that you uh, gravitate in progress in the gospel plan by not walking faster than you can, not running faster than you can, that you, you achieve it here a little and there a little, uh, piece by piece. But in this podcast, we want to give you the deeper doctrines of the church that are being left out of the basic doctrine chapters of this manual. And because we believe in consent, and we believe in informed consent, and we believe that you're prone to make the best decisions for yourself, 
by having access to all of the information. And so I just want to note here that they're pushing Heavenly Mother out of the theology little by little, not to mention all of the Heavenly Mothers as early prophets, seers, and revelators taught that God has many wives. And so I'll just share one quote here that shows that, because we shared a few from last week. President Brigham Young, second president of the church, considered a prophet, seer, and revelator. He said it will be seen that the great Messiah who was the founder of the Christian religion was a polygamist. The Messiah chose by marrying honorable wives himself, showed to all future generations that he approached the plurality of wives under the Christian dispensation, as well as under the dispensation in which his polygamist ancestors lived. We have now clearly shown that God the Father has a plurality of wives, one or more being in an inter- one or more being in eternity by whom he begat our spirits, as well as the spirit of Jesus his firstborn, and another being upon the earth by whom he begat the tabernacle of Jesus as his only begotten in this world. We also we have also proved most clearly that the Son followed the example of his father and became the great the great bridegroom to whom kings, daughters, and many honorable wives were to be married. So that Heavenly Father is a polygamist, and Jesus was also a polygamist. Um, Just want to note that. I want to note that the church has never acknowledged or disavowed its past teachings on those with physical challenges being less valiant in the pre-earth life. It simply did a 180 reversal and just started saying in uh, obscure places, the new idea, which is that they were actually the most valiant, most faithful. And then also we need to talk about how Mormonism marginalized various segments of our heavenly family. And so I just want to note here, this is early LDS art, early Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints art. This is art that would be in manuals or be even framed and sitting on the wall of an LDS ward building. Um, and, and, and some of these pieces you can purchase uh, at Deseret Book, the church's uh, owned bookstore. And I just want to note, do you see something that I see? And, and what I see, by the way, is that everyone here appears to be white. So in the very middle picture is Jesus in a second coming, and all the angels blowing a trumpet are Caucasian people. In the top left, it is uh, a family reunion on the other side in heaven, everyone one is white. Down below in the bottom left, it is uh, Jesus either uh, talking to pre-mortal spirits or post-mortal beings, and they are all white. And then also just the bottom right, note that all of the leaders of the church up until the present moment are uh, Caucasian men. Being led by Caucasian men and forming your theology around whiteness, and I'll just say, Mormonism at its core taught that essentially all of us as pre-mortal spirits were Caucasian, that nobody became a person with dark skin until they came into this world with some sort of curse hanging over their head because of their valiancy in the pre-earth life or because of the sins that their people as a uh, as a whole, had committed. So, for instance, Mormons believe that Native Americans have a dark skin because 
the Native Americans are the descendants of the Lamanites from the Book of Mormon, who in uh, turning away from the gospel path were uh, given a curse by God in a dark skin. That people of color of African descent were given a dark skin because they uh, had been less valiant in the pre-earth life and that they were born into the descendants of Cain who were given a mark upon their skin of a dark skin. And hence, before coming to this earth, all spirits are Caucasian. So it makes perfect sense that in all of the artwork, we would see in uh, totality Caucasian people. And then I just want to note, just to back up that idea, uh, we should note a lot of these quotes. These are all things that have been said by prophets, seers, and revelators within the LDS Church or within its scriptures. And uh, and so I'm going to actually make this the full screen, take me off so that um, these will be a little easier to read for a moment. I want to just read some of these. LDS Apostle LeGrand Richards, the Book of Mormon tells us that he has a dark skin, but he has promise there that through faithfulness that they all again become white and delight some people. Again, because they were white to begin with before this life. See, again, pre-earth life, everybody is white. Here is uh, uh, the first presidency of the LDS Church in 1949. The attitude of the church with reference to the Negroes remains as it has always stood. It is a matter of declaration. It is not a matter of declaration of a policy, but of direct commandment from the Lord, which is founded upon the doctrine of the church from the days of its organization. He is saying there that it's not a policy that people of color can't hold the priesthood and receive the saving ordinances of the temple. It's it's commandment of God based on the doctrine of their faithfulness in the pre-earth life. Then down at the bottom left, George Q. Cannon, October General Conference, 1868. We understand that when God made man in his own image and pronounced him very good, that he made him white. See again, everyone in the pre-earth life is Caucasian. We have no record of any of God's favored servants being of black race. All his prophets and apostles belong to the most handsome race on the face of the earth. Then we have Alvin Dyer. So this is the next column. And Alvin Dyer says, The reason that spirits are born into Negro bodies is that those spirits rejected the priesthood of God in the pre-existence. This is the reason why you have Negroes upon the earth. Okay, then you have uh, Joseph Fielding Smith. It's juxtaposed against a quote from Quentin Cook, a current apostle in the church. But you have Joseph Fielding Smith saying, Not only was Cain called upon to suffer, but because of his wickedness, he became the father of an inferior race. Again, that's people of African descent, people of color. The uh, Book of Mormon uh, originally said, Because of their unbelief, the Lamanites are cursed, receive a skin of blackness, and become a scourge under the Nephites. In 2010, they changed that to because of their unbelief, the Lamanites are cut off from the presence of the Lord. And because, oop, let me try to see this here. Oop, let's see. Uh, sorry about that. Are cursed and become a scourge unto the Nephites. Um, 
Let's see here. You've got uh, Mark E. Peterson. He says, if that Negro is faithful all his days, he can and will enter the celestial kingdom. He will go there as a servant, but he will get a celestial resurrection. So there, Mark E. Peterson is teaching that people of color will get to the celestial kingdom, but they can only be slaves there or servants there. Um, in October 1947 General Conference, it was said, quote, the Negro race have been forbidden the priesthood and the higher temple blessings, presumably because of their not having been valiant while in the spirit. It does not pay to be anything but valiant, unquote. And I just want to I want to move up to the modern moment. The church today in the very bottom right-hand corner, it's going to be hard for you to to read this, but what it says is today the church disavows the theories advanced in the past that black skin is a sign of divine disfavor or curse or that it reflects actions in a pre-mortal life, that mixed race marriages are a sin or that blacks or people of any other race or ethnicity are inferior in any way to anyone else. Church leaders today unequivocally condemn all racism, past and present, in any form. And I want to note that while that's a really uh, great step, it's a great step that the church has taken in disavowing all of this racism of the past, it calls into question how able, how capable are Mormon prophets at discerning the mind and will in God if they all believed unanimously across uh, 150 years, that they all proclaimed unanimously that they knew that it was the doctrine of the church that people who had uh, a different color skin than Caucasian had been uh, unfaithful in the pre-earth life and had come into the bodies of the descendants of those who were cursed and had a dark skin placed upon them, and the church has never in any way apologized for all of this perpetual racism, but it again, it does call into question how good are these men at talking to God and discerning his mind and will if they get it this wrong? If they're this wrong about this, what else might they be wrong about? And then the quote right above it is Elder Dallin H. Oaks, a current member of the First Presidency. He is a prophet, seer, and revelator. Uh, that's what he is seen as in the church. And he gave a quote a few years back in 2018 at the B1 celebration, which was celebrating the 1978 uh, revelation that allowed people of color to finally have the priesthood and go to the temple. But what does he do? He says, I studied the reasons for the priesthood temple ban then being given and could not feel confirmation of the truth of any of them. As part of of my prayerful study, I learned that in general, the Lord rarely gives reasons for the commandments and directions he gives to his servants. I determined to be loyal to our prophetic leaders and to pray, as promised from the beginning of these restrictions, that the day would come when all would enjoy the blessings of the priesthood and temple. What Elder Oaks is doing here, and if you if you understand Mormonism well enough, you'll see it, is he is missing the reasoning behind the priesthood ban as not having come from God, but that the ban itself 
still is seen as coming from God. And so while the church is saying it's disavowed all the racism of the past, Elder Oaks is admitting that the current church still blames God for the priesthood and temple ban, that the ban itself did come from him, and that while we we don't have any reasons for it that hold up, the ban itself is still legitimate. Um, I don't mean legitimate as in it should still be in place today, only that prior to 1978, it was God's will that people of color not have uh, the priesthood and not have access to the saving ordinances of the temple. And this was just a handful of the quotes. There are literally hundreds of quotes in Mormonism that imply racism uh, and bigotry of one sort or another. And so you can see just by this screen how widespread it was within LDS doctrine and theology. And uh, that's it, my friends. That is all for uh, Chapter 2 of the Gospel Principles Manual, Our Heavenly Family. I hope this is helpful to your learning, not only a faithful view of basic Mormon doctrine, but also to understand how the Church has changed and what deeper doctrines lie underneath uh, these overarching topics uh, that would be important for a investigating or new member of the church to know to be able to make the best informed choices about how they will form their beliefs and their loyalty to uh, the church and its authorities or leaders. Thank you very much.